TTYA Talks, the podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to TTYA Talks, the podcast. I'm Irene TTYA, your host, and I created TTYA Talks as a safe space to inspire, motivate and allow you to listen to real authentic career and lifestyle stories from women who are pioneering in the creative industries and sports. So guys, we have a really special episode for you today. We've collaborated with Nike FM Broadcast and just a little bit about what Nike FM Broadcast is about. It's a series that celebrates black futures in sports and culture. It seeks to shed light on important topics that drive representation, equality and inclusion of diverse communities through a conversational video series. So as you can imagine, it was the perfect collaborator for us here at TTYA Talks to help push, shape and inspire the next generation. So without further ado, I'm going to get into today's guests. So today's guest is a professional boxer, model, author and racial equality activist. She's the first Somali boxer in history to compete at the Olympic Games and the first female to become a professional boxer full stop, period. Um, She's so inspiring and I've recently had the pleasure of going to her first book launch, The 10 Steps to Becoming Your Own Champion. She's someone who is not only an innovator within the community, but someone who literally uses every power and every resource to her to empower the next generation. So without further ado, I'd love to welcome to TTYA Talks, Nike's FM broadcast special, Ramla Ali. Hi Ramla, welcome to TTYA Talks, the podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, Irene. Do you know what? When they said that, um, do you want to do a Zoom of Irene? I was like, yes. <laughs> you don't have to ask me twice. So Ramla, with every guest that we have on the show, I always say for us to have a better understanding of where you're going, we need to know where you have come from. So let's start at the beginning. You know, every week we need to be focused. Um, and yeah, I would really love to just kind of get into what made you kind of think about getting into boxing? I mean, from the jump, it was literally because I was I was quite an overweight teenager. And basically, in, to, to sum it up, the doctor, you know, told my mom that I was clinically obese at the age of 12. And obviously, wow. it, it scared me a bit because, you know, when you see on TV, the word obese has these like, obviously, it has negative connotations, whatever. But you see... What you imagine obese to be is like, you know, have you seen those um, documentaries, My 300 Pound Life or My 300 Pound <laughs> That's That's what you imagine. So when the doctor mm. said that to me, like it really scared me and it, may, and it basically kick-started my whole fitness journey. I think mm. like a couple of days after that, my mom, my mom um, got me a gym membership. I started going to the gym a lot. You know, I was watching what I what I ate I was like drinking a lot of water I remember watching Jerry Springer once and like this woman came on saying I lost this much weight because I was just drinking loads of water so I thought okay I'm going to just start drinking loads of water and it was just like flushing me out gave me great skin um but yeah like I think that that initial talk with the doctor had this like amazing ripple effect um of starting the gym looking after myself eating right and just making sure like I wasn't heading down a really bad path. A lot of people say, why boxing specific? The thing is, is for me, I was just, I was so basic. <laughs> like I would have taken I would have taken up any sport. And it was only because it was the first sport that I walked into. And it was the first sort of class that I walked into. That's what I liked. But if I had walked into, I don't know, like a Taekwondo class or a karate class, 
it would be so different. I would be somewhere completely well, a completely different, different trajectory, so, yeah. Yeah, so that, that there isn't like, why boxing? Or what was it about boxing? What drew you to it? Literally, it was the first sport I tried and that was it. There must have been an element of boxing that you really enjoyed because I think when you do start something, there's that pressure also to maintain it. So there must have been something about it that you enjoyed. 100%. I think the one thing that I enjoyed the most about it at the time, I started, I was 12 years old, and we didn't live in this day of social media. You know, you've got all these, like, amazing fitness pages that give you inspiration for your workout. We didn't have that. So mm. as a 12-year-old who's never been to the gym, I didn't have much, um, what's the word, imagination of the things to do and what I should do and X, Y, and Z. So what I loved most was that there was someone telling me what to do like mm. the, the the classes were already programmed and we just had to follow it to the best of our abilities. And that's mm-hmm. what I felt, that's what I loved most about it and that's why I kept going back. I read somewhere earlier that when you first started out, um, a lot of the training facilities never had women only changing rooms. What were some of the difficulties that you found at the beginning and how did you overcome them? So that was like a, a huge, huge difficulty. Um, you know, there was, times where it was only one changing room because uh boxing was such a male dominate male dominated sport that all the changing rooms were just for men and what i had to do sometimes was i had to wait until all the men came out of the changing room before i could then go in in mm-hmm. in the summer it was fine because it was warm and i could still walk home with sweaty clothes but you can't really do that in the winter you can't walk home sweaty you you'll catch a cold so i think that was like one of the things and like another thing as well was because female boxing wasn't very popular. Not a lot of coaches took interest in women. Um, mm. They didn't see they didn't see the potential it had. So a lot of a lot of my training was just down to me and how much I could uh, progress. Um, like my, like I had to sort of teach myself. Basically, my progression mm. was me teaching myself. Um, and yes, I think that was very very challenging at the start. So, Ramna, how over maybe, let's say, the last decade have you seen the industry change? Obviously, there's always room for improvement, but is there anything that you can say, you know what, yes, that was definitely something that has shifted the culture of boxing? I've seen, I've seen, I've seen quite a few changes. Like, once upon a time, a woman wouldn't necessarily... I'm talking about boxing specifically. So a woman wouldn't necessarily be on, like, a, a pretty huge undercard. Like, a woman wouldn't be on the undercard of an Anthony Joshua fight, or a woman wouldn't be on the undercard of a Canelo fight, whatever. But now, there are more, not only is there one woman, they might be up to two or three, which is mm-hmm. so amazing to see, because it's, it's giving women the platform to showcase, mm-hmm. you know, the, their, their ability and how they've been training and X, Y, and Z. But then sometimes that comes with a bit of sexism. Like most recently, I, um, not recently, I think it was last, last year or the beginning of this year, um, I spoke about, I faced a uh, commentator must have said something like, oh, well, she's a pretty woman, so she'll go fine boxing. And the thing is, is, yes, it is a compliment, but why are you not commenting on my boxing ability? Why does it have to do with my looks? I feel like people will never say that about a man. Like There, there are obviously mm-hmm. some amazing, like there are obviously some very good looking boxers out there in the world, but like you'll never see them. You'll never see a female commentator say, oh, wow, yeah, look at him, he's sexy. Oh, yeah, so he'll go far in, in boxing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So why is it okay for them 
to, to say that about women. And the thing women. is, nobody really bat, batted an eyelid until I mm. spoke up about it. So, yeah, but, you know, there has been some changes, but there needs to be a lot of improvement moving forward. One of the main questions that I personally had for you was, when did you really make the, the transition to, like, think, you know what, I'm not bad at this, you know, this is something that I could see myself like doing professionally. When did you have, when did, when did the light switch? When did you cross over and think, you know what, I want to pursue this? For me, it was always like really nice stress reliever, a place like a sort of safe haven where I could go and, um, you know, de-stress, forget all my worries, all the stresses in school and at home. And I remember the very first gym I walked into it it closed so then I started going to another gym and it was the coach in that other gym that that said oh you're pretty good how long have you you know how many fights have you had and I was like oh well I've never really had a fight I haven't really sparred and he was like well have you thought about it and um I think it was because of him that I thought oh okay yeah let, let me give this a try um, so it wasn't really me saying, oh, yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah, let me see what I can do. It was more him saying, I think you're really good and I think you have so much mm. potential. So it was, it was that belief that he had in me yeah. that showed me that I could do it. Yeah, I feel like the great thing is just sometimes you don't always see your own potential. Sometimes it takes like an external third party to kind of have fresh eyes and look at it from the outside and, you know, give you that boost that you need to almost that self-belief it's kind of weird because you shouldn't really need it but you, sometimes you can't see it when you're stuck in the mix you can't always see it yourself so you do sometimes need those fresh pair of eyes as women um like i think men have a level of confidence like up here and women we don't and i think like as a woman we need someone to i mean we don't need you know what's the word we don't need someone to tell us that we're that good enough, word, yeah. yeah. I get what you're yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We don't need someone to tell us that we're good enough, but we sort of need them. We need someone to tell us that we are good enough. It's never like, I feel like a woman never has that confidence. And it's such a shame because I wish more women did. Um, yeah, so it, for me personally, it just took someone else to say, yeah, you're good enough for me to believe it. Like I would mm. never believe it by myself. And I wish I had that level of confidence that men confidence. do. Like, it would be amazing. Um, so I kind of wanted to ask and speak to you about, like, we've just touched on how your career, how where that switch point kind of came from, but how did that work from a cultural perspective? Because I myself, I'm Nigerian, um, obviously I'm from a West African background. Um, my mum came to the UK and, you know, a lot of us, our parents want us to have, you know, an academic um, career because you know from where they've come from they see that as what that determines as successful so how was that how was that conversation at home for you because a lot of us that work in the creative industries and sports we almost our parents there, there comes a point where the light switches and they think okay your career is not bogus anymore for me like the the balance between me and my mom was that I wanted to continue doing this thing that I love so much so I then went to university, like, like most um, African uh, uh, <laughs> children, they get, they sort of get coerced into going to university to, to take on degrees that they have no interest in, have a, have a, have a degree in, as, in law, but I've never practiced it because I hated the three years that I was in university, I hated it. 
<laughs> Sis, I completely understand. I've got a forensic science degree and legit I could have my own episode of CSI. It was always like my plan Z in case anything else didn't work out. And I guess, I, like, you know, like you said, to kind of make my mum my feel happy that I'd gone and got an academic degree and then kind of have her to give me some breathing room to decide and figure out what it is I actually wanted to do. That was the same thing with me. Like, I wanted to, I wanted to continue boxing, but then... At the same time, I didn't want my mum to sort of... Because you know how African parents are? They're very, like, they guilt trip you. Yeah. Oh, but think of my health. You know, um, you know, your father is sick. You're putting him in the grave. And you just think to yourself, oh, my God. So I didn't want to kill my parents. So, I, you know, I took this degree to keep my mum happy. But at the same mm. time, I was still competing and training. Um, but I think, you know, the, one, the time where I had to be like, look, mum... I want to. I want. I want to to do this full time, and I want to take this full time. I actually never had that conversation. It was just kind of a thing that's like it's never been spoken about. She knows that's what I'm doing now, full time, but we've never actually sat down and spoken about me doing it full time. So yeah, it's quite weird, and I, and I feel like a lot of African uh, children can relate. Um, I'm not sure if it was like 100%. the same. Like, have you ever spoken to your mom, or it's just something that's just not been spoken about? So yeah, similar to you, I've pursued the academic side just to get my mum, make my mum happy. But I feel like that's why people always relate to us because there's kind of been no rule book. We've always found our own way of ways to do things. We've always, yeah, there's been no rule book that's been passed on down to us. We've created our own lane. There's no rules. There's no regulations. And what comes with that is just ability to kind of, I always call us a kind of DIY generation, like the do-it-yourself generation, where we necessarily never had... Um, an older generation to give us the tools or to equip us with what we needed so we've almost had to do it ourselves but when I started TTYA I think the point where I, I realised where I think I realised that my mum was taking it serious was when I launched in Selfridges um, most parents will know what Selfridges is and you know it's quite a prestigious store so to have my brand in there I think she, it kind of clicked that okay this girl hasn't just been bluffing for two and a half years that like she's been putting her head down and making this happen and you know she brought her pasta to the shop floor and they prayed on it and you know I could tell that by then that she was really she she was proud of what I had achieved to get an idea of something that I had wanted to be in, in this store um, I could tell that she was really proud and I feel like that was kind of like her co-sign that was her saying to me like okay I've seen all the hard work that you've put in we're going to pray on this together now and I'm going and that was kind of her co-sign of being like okay we're going to push and we're going to keep it moving and you know things are serious in the African household when your mum brings the pastor to pray so it was almost just this feeling of my daughter will be successful by any means necessary you know the the one time that my mum sort of the same with you, like she thought, okay, this isn't, this isn't just like a, a joke thing. It, it, I mean, it had nothing to do with like, cause you know, let, let's be honest, female athletes don't get paid half, half the same, half the, like the same as men. But I think the one time that she thought that, you know, yeah, like you're, you're, you're doing bits basically. And it wasn't <laughs> even that, that long ago. It was like quite recent, you know, Mary McCartney took a photo of me um for the the exhibition for the for this Cartier exhibition and I was wearing um a Cartier uh I was wearing obviously Cartier jewelry and the the Panthera watch and you know people in Somalia decided mm -hmm. to google how much the watch is worth and <laughs> my mom's thinking that I own this watch <laughs> 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 what <a> successful <laughs> 
I didn't correct her, but yeah. <laughs> as long as she thinks that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, it's not a joke, and you know what I'm doing, the thing that I'm doing most, I'm passionate about, and it, mm. I'm actually creating a, a career out of it and a life out of it, and I'm paying my rent, and I'm, you know, that's that's the main thing. It's become a lifestyle, hasn't it? You've become such an influential voice in sports, full stop. And I say full stop because it almost devalues it to say as a woman in sports. You're just influential in sports, period. I'd love to hear a bit more about your charity Sisters Club. What motivated you to start it? Um, and what was kind of your passion behind the project? So Sisters Club was started in 2018. So I wanted to volunteer, um, just volunteer like some time, some free time that I had during the week, even though I was training full time. I was still in uni. Um, getting my second degree, you know, and I wanted to sort of volunteer some free time that I had. I remember reading a quote by Muhammad Ali who said, um, you know, your your rent on earth is the service you provide to others. So I always said, mm. like, you know, I do want to be known for all my accomplishments in the ring, but I'm, more than that, I want to be known for what I did outside of the ring and how I helped others. Mm. So set up yeah. uh, uh, this um, initiative for three months the girls were like, this is so amazing. Can we continue? And flash forward to today, we've got four different locations. So I set it up initially because I wanted religious minorities and ethnic minorities, you know, like the vulnerable groups that don't necessarily have easy access to sport. I wanted them mm-hmm. to just to, to know what it feels like to be in this environment, you know, live healthy and train train like learn how to box learn how to defend themselves mm-hmm. and then over time i was encouraging more uh women that had suffered from domestic violence mm-hmm. because i wanted to help them and teach them how to box uh teach them how to learn to defend themselves but like in this safe environment where that was like free for men because a lot of the religious women that that come you know they want to take their hijab and just a bit of relief and um yeah, we're we're growing at the moment with the help of Nike, who has provided um, so much funding and has allowed us to expand. Um, the Sisters Club has been this amazing initiative, and you know, is is bringing all these women together, um, building like bringing is making like a little community of sisters basically. But yeah, I'm really proud of it, and I'm 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 astonished at how how much it's grown and how popular it is. I'm so happy that you mentioned the word community. I get asked a lot about what my community means to me, especially when I'm speaking out against, you know, racial injustices within our community. How important is it for you to continue to connect with your community? For me, connecting with my community, um, you know, growing up, and I'm sure it's the same in in, in your household. Like, African parents will always you know, tell you don't steer too much away from your culture and your values and what you've grown up with. And that was the same in my house. Like, you'd walk into my house, and I swear, it was like walking into Somalia. You know, you'd have, <laughs> like, you know, plastic plastic on the couch because uh, you could have ruined the couch. And that's literally what my whole, like, life has been like growing up. I've been so close. Um, you know, even though I was I was raised in the U.K., and, you know, I do feel British and, you know, Britain's the only home I've ever known. I feel more Somali than I do British. And that's because yeah. of 
or the um, values that my mum has instilled in me growing up, telling me not to forget who I am and not to stay too much away from being Somali. So, yeah, for me, being Somali is very important to me. And, you know, it's something that I would love to pass on to my children um, and I hope that they pass it on to their children. For me, when I say community, like what community means to me is roots and culture. Understanding that you almost have this this duty to pass on the knowledge to the next generation and to continue to like grow as a community. We are underrepresented as it is. And I feel like the only way that we're going to be able to continue to break down those barriers is if we give the next generation the tools that they need. Because sometimes on social media, things get made to look like, oh my God, it's so instantaneous. And I just met this person and no one really sees the work that goes in behind the scenes. So I definitely feel like it's really important to kind of show the work um and I'm guilty of it as well like you know you have a little win and you post it on social media but I think with TTYA Talks I've really tried to like have a development process where we give the next generation the knowledge and the tools that they need to be like okay I see what you guys have done now you're going to give us the knowledge and we're going to be able to take it to the next level that's why it's so important to like now for us to stand up for what is right don't be afraid to stand up for what is right don't be afraid to stand up for the injustices because There'll be like little girls or little boys looking up to you. Um, and, you know, you need to sort of, we need to be brave enough to stand up for it because if mm. we're not brave enough, who, who, who's going to be? Like you need to mm. like not be afraid to be the first person to speak because then you'll create this sort of ripple effect of other people standing up for, for, for these injustices. Um, mm. And, you know, a lot of the time like people are afraid of, you know, saying something because of the repercussions that it will have on them. But for me, like, I'm very, I'm very opinionated. Like, I will always talk about something, you know, <laughs> I'm the same as you. So I will always talk about something when I, when I think something isn't right, I will always speak up about it. And I think it allows, it, you know, it, it allows the next generation, like, it, it, it sort of empowers the next generation basically mm-hmm. which is good and it inspires the next generation how's your relationship as an athlete and your personal relationship grown with nike my my relationship with nike started back in 2018 this uh, amazing person who used to work in sports marketing he doesn't work there anymore dan smith uh, took a chance on me and signed me to nike and because because i had been funding um my my dream to go to the olympics like it was coming out of my own pocket me and my husband were like this close to being homeless. So when they signed me, it came at just the right time. I, I, I now had funding, basically. Um, so I can't thank them enough for everything that they've done for me since then. Because if it wasn't for them, literally, I'll, I'll, I'd probably be living with my mum again. The greatest relationships are always organic relationships. And I think the great thing about working with Nike now is I always remember like having to hustle. I had quite big feet when I was younger. And so 110 pound trainers, my mom just couldn't justify spending 110 pounds in trainers. And I think the great 360 of it now is working with a brand, a global brand who has supported me, who has championed me, who has given me a platform to elevate my voice, especially around BLM. You know, um, it was so important for me to um, work with brands who weren't just using it as a marketing opportunity who weren't just leveraging it as a way to um 
as more of a performative exercise. And I think they've kind of stood by their word. They've given back to the community and I've been grateful to be across this journey with them. Um, so yeah, I'm so excited. And yeah, they've been a really great collaborator to work with. It just goes to show you that you're, you're, you're working with the right brand. Like you said, a lot of brands sort of just jumped on it because they thought, oh, now it's, it's a great time to make a bit of money. Um, mm. But everything that Nike have done around around that time has been so organic. So I'm I'm just glad to to, to be to be with them because it, it, they're just an amazing brand to work with. I'd love to get into it a little bit about your book, um, Not Without a Fight: Ten Steps to Becoming Your Own Champion. I had the privilege of coming to your launch. It was a QT1 babe. It's very, very cute at the Cartier HQ. Very cute one. But yeah, tell us a little bit about what inspired your book, what inspired you to write this book and how you kind of came up with the 10 tips. I wrote this book during lockdown because, you know, we didn't really have much to do. And I thought, let me spend my time wisely. So yeah, that's why it came about. Um, and I basically wanted to write a book. So this book is like, it's, it's not it's not an autobiography. There are biographical elements in it, but it's more of like a self-help book. So it's like a 10, 10 chapters of 10 of my most important fights that I've had in, in the ring, some out the ring. Um, and it's like, you know, there's there's so many life lessons in there of, you know, don't be afraid to be yourself or, you know, don't be afraid to be the first or, you know, learn to be your own champion, learn to accept your failures and things like that. So I just wanted to put all these lessons that I had learned in my life. I wanted to write it out, put it in a book. And I wanted to write it for, you know, the young of me, the young Ramla that had like no direction in life, didn't know where she was going. You know, it's the kind of book that I... Not, not. I'm not trying to sell it, but it's the kind. Of, <laughs> it's the kind of book I wish I had growing up because there's so many amazing lessons in there that I think would help so many uh, young adults at the moment, and that's probably what it is in a nutshell. Ramla, what are three tips that you would give to anyone thinking about getting into boxing? I think the most important tip is to do your homework. Um, go into a gym that has a good and amazing coach because a lot of the time these coaches have these like egos and um you know they'll throw you in at the deep end and like I've, I've i've been in situations where a person you know just gets thrown straight into sparring gets beaten up really badly and then it deters them and that's such a shame because boxing is such an amazing um sport and it's such it's such an amazing community um, so for me, like it, it, the very first thing is to do your homework and to find the coach that is willing to put time and effort into you and not rush you and, you know, is happy to show you um, your mistakes, is happy to like grow with you and, um, and, you know, gives you the opportunity to learn. Number two is um, a lot of the times like boxing gyms are very intimidating a lot of the times it's just gyms that have a lot of men in it. As women, we might be intimidated by that. So I would always say try and go with a friend. Um, if, you're, if, you're, if you're together, you know, sisters together, training together, like a, commu- like a small community, um, you and your friend. And you'll enjoy it a lot more if you have somebody there to sort of afterwards talk about how, oh, my God, that was so hard. And, oh, my God, oh, did you see what we did? Oh, we did so many burpees it means that you you then have somebody 
that will sort of encourage you to go back and say, hey, let's do that again. That was really fun. Like it's, it's a nice bonding moment between you and your friend. Number three, I think, is um, to take that leap of faith. So if you want to, you know, if, if you've had boxing in your mind for a while, just like go and do it. Like a lot of the times we get really scared of being put in uncomfortable situations. But it's only when you're in an uncomfortable situation is when you'll know if something is for you. So mm. don't be afraid to put yourself in that uncomfortable situation. And it's only then will you realize, I actually like this or mm, that wasn't for me. For me. But you have mm-hmm. to take that first step. So I've got some quick fire questions for you, Ramla, that we can just fire through short, sharp answers. Ready? Let's do it. What's your favourite collaboration campaign you've worked on today? My favourite um, collaboration was actually the very first Matthew Williams shoot that I did because it was shot by the amazing Nick Knight. And, you know, as, as um, athletes, models, whoever, like you always aspire to, to be shot by these amazing people. And I can't believe that, that was my very first shoot. And it's definitely something that I remember. So I know it's a quick fire question, but I just had to explain that. What's your proudest moment of your career so far? Going to the Olympic Games. When do you feel most comfortable in your own skin? Being in the ring, which is weird, because it, it is comfortable and in turn the most scariest moment together. But it's very empowering. How do you surround yourself with people who encourage you? You will always feel positive energy around you. So always try and surround yourself with positive energy. Negative energy will drain you. And that, that, mm. that stuff spread like wildfire like for example if you're in the gym and someone's like so tired today you end up feeling tired even if you weren't so always try and surround yourself with positive energy as much as possible what activities make you feel good about yourself i love rock climbing that's mm-hmm. really cool it's a lot of upper body strength and i swear to you it humbles you you think raw i'm strong you're not strong honestly you're not strong <laughs> so i feel like it, it humbles you a lot um but yeah that, that is an amazing activity and it's fun so ramla tell us what's next for you so do you know what this is funny my, my friend said the same thing to me and i said i want my face to be everywhere that people get sick of me and <laughs> i'm going i'm i'm taking that energy with me in 2022 so what's hey. next for me is like i'm just currently training for my next fight which i hope will be sometime at the end of Feb or March. Um, and that's probably what's next. Uh, you know, who knows what the future will hold, but I'm working hard to have my face everywhere so people do get sick of me and train very, very hard for my next fight. What is next for you, Irene? What's next for me? Um, I've taken on the most craziest renovation project. Um, I'm learning so much. Um, just even managing teams of men is tough. But, and also, and we'll probably have this conversation on this podcast another day, but like how male traders just so, can behave so disgracefully to women. Um, But we'll save that, we'll save that conversation for another podcast episode. (laughs) Lol. But yeah, I'm just excited. I'm just also just so grateful, you know, I'm not like, it's been a year of craziness um, I'm grateful to be healthy. I'm grateful to be safe. I'm grateful to even have a roof over my head, um, let alone my own home. So that was one of the biggest achievements for me this year. And I'm just looking forward to kind of building on that now. Um, 
see my friends more, see my family more, building on my business and yeah, doing more episodes, getting to talk to more bossy women like you and working on season three of TTY Talks, the podcast. So yeah, loads of fun things to come. So Ramla, if anyone wanted to follow you on socials, what are the handles? At Ramla Ali on Instagram and at Marley Boxer on Twitter. Ramla, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on an episode today. Like you inspire me so much. I hate when they kind of pigeonhole and say, okay, you're a great, you're a great female athlete or woman in sport. You know, I feel like you're just an amazing athlete, period, like full stop. Like um, what I've watched you do um, and achieve in such a short space of time as well like it's just so incredibly inspiring and even the way that you want to give back to a community and like setting up your creative hub and your boxing club and just everything that you have done and put into like giving back to the next the next generation like you are a true community champion and it's just been an honor to just get to speak to you today so just honestly thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for your time please keep doing what you're doing any anyhow that I can lend a hand into it or come down to the club to speak to the girls I'd love to so yeah just keep me posted and can't wait to see you soon thank you guys for locking in to the community champions episode with Ramna Ali this episode was brought to you by Nike FM Broadcast a series that celebrates black futures in sports and culture If you would like to watch any episodes of the FM Broadcast series, please head over to Nike.com or to the official Nike YouTube channel. But for now, I'm your girl Irene TTYA. This is TTYA Talks the Podcast. Stay safe, stay locked and loaded and see you guys soon.